Well, if you would, open your Bibles today to the book of Revelation, the first chapter. Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to be studying today verses 4 through 8. We opened up uh, our study of this book last Sunday with the first three verses, and we're just moving right along verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through this interesting and amazing book in our Bibles, the book of Revelation. This morning I want to speak to you on this subject, the one and only. The one and only. The book of the Revelation is exactly this. It is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pointed that out to you last Sunday in the opening verses of this book. In Revelation 1 verse 1, it specifically says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this book is an unfolding revelation of Jesus Christ, the one one of these days who is going to come again. In the opening chapter of the book, we have the captain of our salvation, which that's the title I've given to the book, the captain. The Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of our souls, is one of these days coming. And it's almost as if in chapter 1, John is certifying exactly who that person is. We'll see next Sunday the tremendous vision that he had of the Lord Jesus Christ, the revelation that he got of Jesus when he saw him in all of his splendor and glory. But it's almost in these verses 4 through 8 as if John is summarizing for us Jesus Christ who is indeed the one and only. When you begin to think about the Lord Jesus Christ, when you begin to think about all the things that Jesus has done, you begin to think about who He really is revealed to us in Scripture and all that one of these days He is going to do. The only description to describe Him is He is a one and only kind of a person. And so we're going to dig into that as we study these verses of Scripture along today. As you look at these verses, John begins by just selling, saying hello or giving us a greeting as he opens the book. In verse 4, he talks about the churches who were in Asia. That's who this letter was too. And notice how he says hello to them. Notice the greeting that he gives to them in verse 4. He says, grace, I circle that word in my Bible to you, and peace, I circle that word in my Bible from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ. Paul, John gives a greeting to the churches, and he greets them this way. He says, grace and peace. What greater greeting could be given to anybody than those words right there? You see, the churches during John's day, when this book was written, we're going through tremendous persecution. I mean, what finer word of encouragement could they have received than grace and peace that comes from the Father? In fact, I'll tell you this morning that that's a pretty good encouragement to you and us in this room today, is it not? Grace and peace. Isn't it grace and peace that we need? And isn't it wonderful the order that falls here? It's always grace and then what? Then it's peace. It's never peace ahead of grace. It's always peace that follows grace. 
You see, you can't have the peace of God until you experience the grace of God and things get right in your heart between you and God. And once you experience that, ladies and gentlemen, the peace of God comes flooding into your soul. That peace, the Bible says, passes all understanding. And so he greets them with grace and peace. Now I want you to notice very carefully the source of this grace and peace. You'll notice that when John greets the churches back then and us today, that it isn't John that's bringing grace and peace to them, is it? No, grace and peace doesn't come from John. Grace and peace doesn't come from the preacher. Grace and peace doesn't come from the deacons. Grace and peace doesn't come from the teachers. Notice where he says grace and peace comes from. In fact, if you will circle the word from, you'll find this word mentioned three times. And if you circle it, you will find the source of this grace and peace. Let me read it to you again, verse 4 and 5. He says, grace to you and peace, there's the first time, from him who is and who was and who is to come. And, there it is again, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and here it comes again, and from Jesus Christ. So you see, there's the source of grace and peace. Now let's look at those for just a few moments. He says, first of all, that this grace and peace comes from Him who is, who was, and who is to come. You know what I call that? I call that the Sovereign Father. The Sovereign Father. References being made here to the great God of the universe. You remember when God uh, appeared to Moses in the burning bush? And you remember when God said to Moses, I want you to go down to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And you remember the first thing Moses said or one of the first things Moses said to God was, okay, but when I get down there, who am I going to tell them is sending me? And you remember what God said to him? God said to Moses, you tell them I am is sending you. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. You see, here is God right here, the sovereign father of this universe, and he is the source of our grace and peace. But then notice he says this grace and peace also comes from what? The seven spirits. Now you say, does that mean there's seven Holy Spirits? No, there's just one Holy Spirit. But the word seven is an interesting word in the Bible. It is a word that is used to describe perfection or, or, or completeness. And what he is saying here is, is that grace and peace comes from the perfect personality of the Holy Spirit of God. Hey, aren't you glad that there's something about you that's perfect? It may not be you, but it's the one that dwells on the inside of you, bringing grace and peace from the throne of the Father. And then you'll notice that he says, from Jesus Christ. Now I want to point something out to you. Normally, when you read the Trinity mentioned in the Bible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's the Trinity. Three representing one. But normally, when you read it in Scripture, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? That isn't the order here, is it? It's God the, Son, God the Father, it's God the Spirit, and God the Son. Why do you think that is? I'll tell you why I believe it is. I believe it's in this order here because who's the focus of this book, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus Christ is the focus of the book. What is this book about? It is a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. 
And so he comes toward the end because the focus of the book is all about him and John now is beginning to dive into this magnificent revelation of who Jesus Christ is all about. Now here's what he's fixing to do and I think you'll find it interesting. John is fixing to tell us now in verse 4, 5, 6 down through 8 he's fixing to tell us who Jesus is He's fixing to tell us what Jesus has done and He is fixing to tell us what Jesus is going to do. You're going to see all three of those things as we work down through these verses of Scripture and as we take a look at this one and only Jesus. Not another like Him. Never will be another like Him. And one of these days, ladies and gentlemen, He is coming again. He is coming to punish the unrighteous and He is coming to reward the righteous. And the Bible lays it out for us in these verses this morning. Now, if He is the one and only, if He is the God of grace and peace, if He is the one who saved and redeemed us, then here's what God put on my heart this week. As long as we have breath, we need to keep telling the story of Jesus, the one and only. Amen? I mean, as long as we got breath. You might not have much, but if you got a little breath, Jesus ought to be on your lips. Amen? And the story of Jesus ought to be being told. And so let's take a look at this one and only Jesus as He is laid out for us in the Bible. I want you to notice what He says about Him in these verses of Scripture. Verse 5, He says, And from Jesus Christ, and I want you to, I want you to take a look at three particular phrases. Three specific or particular phrases that he mentions about the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he says here in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, and he's going to use three phrases to describe him. Three phrases to talk about him. He is the faithful witness. Notice that. He is the first begotten from the dead. Notice that. And he is not only that, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Here's the first thought that John just lays out for us as he talks about this wonderful king who is coming. This one and only Jesus. Not another like him that he lays out for us. And he uses these three phrases to describe it. Three things I want you to learn this morning about Jesus, the one and only. Three phrases. One, he is the faithful witness. Now let me tell you what that tells us about Jesus. That tells us, number one, that Jesus is the reliable one. He is the reliable one. He is the faithful witness. Did you know that God has always wanted a witness? He has always desired a witness. He has always wanted one. In fact, God has always sought to set up a witness in the world so that people would know who He was and what He was about. For, for example... In Isaiah 43 and verse 10, the Bible says there about the nation of Israel, it says, You are my witnesses, saith the Lord. So the nation of Israel was a witness for God. They were supposed to be a witness to the nations around about God. I want to ask you a question. Was Israel the faithful witness? They weren't. They were not a faithful witness for God. Sometimes they were, sometimes they were not. But they were not that faithful witness that God desired for them to be. But the Bible also tells us that the church today is a witness. You remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? It says, but, but after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. 
And so the church is supposed to be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. But I'll ask you a question. Have we always been a faithful witness for Jesus? I haven't always been the faithful witness I should have been. I haven't always taken advantage of the opportunities that I should have taken advantage of. And so I've missed those. We haven't been a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus. But the Bible says, speaking of Jesus Christ, that He is the faithful witness. Now, the question might come, well, what did Jesus come to witness to? What did He come to bear witness to? And I want you to turn in your Bibles, hold your place here at Revelation 1, turn to John chapter 18. John the 18th chapter, we don't have to question about what Jesus came to bear witness to. In John chapter 18 and verse 31, Jesus was talking to Pilate, and in John 18, 31, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly, that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the what? To the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. What Jesus come to bear witness to? He came to bear witness to the truth. And when Jesus came, Jesus spoke the truth about self. Jesus spoke the truth about sin. Jesus spoke the truth about society. Jesus spoke the truth. Why? Because the Bible says it's the truth that sets us free. It's understanding who we are. It's understanding where we are. It's understanding who God is and what He can do that sets us free from our sin. So Jesus is the reliable one. He's the faithful witness. Now here's what that teaches me. That teaches me if Jesus is the reliable one, if He's the faithful witness, I can trust whatever's said in this book right here. Amen? I can count on whatever's spoken right here in this book. Because it, and if Jesus tells me one of these days He's coming again, brother, I'm telling you, as sure as the sun comes up in the east and sets in the west, you can look for Him. He's coming again because it's the reliable one who spoke those words. He's the faithful witness. He's the reliable one. But I want you to notice not only is He the reliable one, He is the resurrected one. Notice that this verse goes on to say that He is the what? He is the first begotten from the dead. He is the first begotten. He is the first born from the dead. He is the resurrected one. We know that's true, don't we? We know Jesus went to the cross. We know Jesus died on the cross. But we know that wasn't the end of the story. Hallelujah. We know that was the end of the story. We know that there was a, 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 a more to that story. There was a burial, but there was a resurrection. Oh, yeah. You see, Jesus only needed a borrowed tomb because He wasn't going to be there too long anyway. See, He didn't need to buy one. He wasn't going to be there. So He just borrowed one because He's fixing to exit that thing because you can't keep eternity down in a grave. And three days later, He rose from the dead. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, not only did a good thing happen on Easter Sunday morning, but God started something in the tomb when He raised His Son from the dead on that Sunday morning. What did He start? I'll tell you what He started. He started something that's going to touch the lives of all God's people. He started something that will touch your life and my life. Death may claim this body. Yes, it may. It may claim victory over this body. 
Embalming may happen to this body. A casket may consume this body. And the ground may cover up this body. But ain't no grave going to keep this body down, ladies and gentlemen, because of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He is the resurrected one. And the Bible calls Him in 1 Corinthians 15 the first fruits of those who have died. You know what first fruits are? That means more's coming. Amen? And so Jesus Christ went into the tomb. He came out of the tomb. He wasn't the first one ever to be raised from the dead. No, there were other resurrections like that in the Bible. But I'll tell you what. He's the only one that died never to die again. And He set up an order that one of these days is going to occur when the Lord Jesus Christ pulls it all together. He's the reliable one, the faithful witness. He is the resurrected one. And, and then finally, He is the ruling one in these phrases. He's the ruling one. You notice He says in, in this same verse, He says He's the faithful witness, He is the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. He's going to be the one who rules over the kings of the earth. He's going to be the one that one of these days does return. He's going to be the one that one of these days does set up His kingdom. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that God has exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. Listen to it. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I got news for you. The religious leaders of this world, the, the kings of this earth, they're going to bow their knee one of these days to the Lord Jesus. Now here's what I say. say. You can freely do it today or you will be forcibly made to do it then. But one way or the other, the knee's going to bow and the tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and that He is ruler over all of the kings of the earth. Don't we have something good to look forward to today? You know, you can literally say for the child of God that the best is what? It's yet to come. It is yet to come because we have a Savior who is the reliable one, He is the resurrected one, and one of these days, ultimately, He will be the ruling one. He uses three phrases to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you notice He uses three more phrases as He works on down through these verses of Scripture to describe Jesus the one and only. The goodness of the one and only, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He focuses on to begin with. His goodness, how is that seen? His goodness is seen in who He is. Who is He? He is the faithful witness. He's the first begotten from the dead and He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. But notice not only the goodness of the one and only. I want you to notice the grace of the one and only. Notice His grace to us. And He describes that in three phrases also. Notice in verse 5 He says, after He finishes describing who Jesus is, He now is about to describe for us what Jesus has done. And He does that by describing His grace. And there are three more phrases I want you to see. He says, to Him who did what? He loved us. I circle those two words. And I circle these washed us from our sins in His own blood. And then in verse 6, and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what are the phrases? He loved us. That's phrase number one. 
He washed us, that's phrase number two, and He made us, that's phrase number three. And those three phrases describe for us the grace of Jesus Christ, our one and only. We've seen His goodness, that faithful witness, that firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And now He dives into His grace. This grace that He's talked about that has been extended to us from Jesus Christ. Let's look at it for a minute. The Bible says He loved us. I call that His loving ministry to us. He loved us. What a thought in the Bible. God loves us. What a thought. God loves you. Hey, what an encouragement that ought to be this morning. God loves you. Amen? God loves you. And hey, the tense of this word is is that God always has loved you and God always will love you. You know, you'll never be able to do anything that causes God not to love you. Now, you might do something He isn't pleased with. You might do something uh, that, 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 that breaks His heart, but He still loves you. He still loves you. You know, some, I had somebody say, oh, well, preach, you just don't know all I've done. God couldn't love somebody like me. I said, well, you just don't know how God's love is. You don't know how big it is. You don't know how broad it is. You don't know how deep it is. You don't know how high it is. It covers anything, ladies and gentlemen, that a person has done. You, 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 notice, you notice something here? I'd never seen this put together until this week. Notice that it says He loved us before He washed us. Now, he didn't have thought. He loved us before he washed He didn't wash us and then love us. He loved us before he washed us. In other words, he loved us when we were filthy, dirty. He loved us when we were in sin. He loved us when we were wayward. He loved us when we were outside the fold of God. In fact, had he not done that, we wouldn't even have a hope in the world to be loved by God. And so he loved us. It's his loving ministry for us. Oh, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of truths in the Bible that will... Uh, excite you and there are a lot of thoughts in the Bible that will stir your heart but I don't think there's a thought in all the Bible that will stir you and excite you more than the fact God loves you His loving ministry toward He loved us and then watch not only did He love us but He washed us and I call that His loosing ministry toward us His loving ministry toward us He loved us but His loosing ministry toward us He washed us now, that, this, this word is interesting. It, it gives a, a, a word picture. See, see, sin sometimes is like a chain. Sin oftentimes is like a chain. It's seen many times in the Bible as like an addiction. We talk about addictions today. If somebody has an addiction, it means they're, 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 they're bound by it. They can't get loose from it. Well, aren't you glad today that there's somebody who can break the chains of addiction? Aren't you glad today that there's somebody who can break the power of sin? We sang about it. You hear it a while ago? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Aren't you glad today? Aren't you glad you've been set free from your sin? Aren't you glad you've been set free from the shackles that would bind you and hold you down? Sin is like a chain. But you know, when you study the Bible, sin is also like a stain. It's like a chain, but it's also like a stain. Sin stains the consciousness of mankind. Sin stains the soil, uh, uh, the soul of a person's life. But aren't you glad today that there is somebody today who has a detergent and it's a, it's a spiritual one and it's a heavenly one and it's a holy one and it's called the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and it is a detergent that can take the stain of sin not out of your clothing but out of your soul today. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one. No wonder we call Him a one and only. Amen. 
because of what He's done for us. His, his loving ministry toward us, he, he loved us. His loosing ministry, He has washed us. And then notice that, that third phrase, He made us. He made us. That's His lifting ministry. He made us. He made something out of us. He made something out of our life. You know, I got thinking about it today. Now, this is just my opinion, and it obviously can be wrong. But, you know, I thought, when I was just looking this week, and I, I was just thumbing through the Scriptures, and I was looking over, I was just looked at those disciples. You ever thought about what a motley crew those were, those guys were? Uh, that's, uh, you know, they, they were two brothers called Sons of Thunder. Well, what, that, what does that mean with exactly what it means? They blow up on you in the side, you know. You just look at him. There's the arrogant Peter. He's always, you know, saying something when he didn't really have nothing to say sometimes. You don't know people like that, do you? You just got to open their mouth. That was old Simon Peter. He was constantly opening his mouth. Hoofing mouth disease he had all through Scripture, just putting his foot in his mouth. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you just get to looking at those disciples. Who in the world would have picked them? Jesus. Jesus. Man, what an encouragement. You know, he would pick me and he would pick you. You know why? Because He can make something out of us this morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, when you take your life and you lay your life on the altar for God and you let God get a hold of your life and take your life and you surrender your life to Him, He'll take you, take your life and it'll amaze you what He'll do with it and how He'll give it back to you once His grace and peace is done in your life. Man, He, he made us. He, he loved us. He loved us before He washed us. He made us, but He washed us before He made us. See, all these phrases are so important. And it speaks of the grace of God. The grace of the one and only. And so you see the goodness of the one and only. The faithful witness, the reliable one, the firstborn from the dead, the resurrected one, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the ruling one. And then you see the grace of the one and only. He loved us, He loosed us, and He's lifted us. Well, now why in the world, if you got breath, wouldn't you tell about that? Amen? Why wouldn't you keep telling about it as long as you do have breath? But then, John wraps these verses up talking about the glory of the one and only. And notice the glory of the one and only. He, uh, he gets down to verse 7 he's, and, he, and He uses the word, Behold. It's almost like, Stop, look, and listen. That word is slowing you down. It's asking you to pause. He really wants you to think about what's coming. Behold, he says, he is coming. You see that? Coming with clouds. Every eye will see it. Even they who pierced it. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of it. Even so, he says, amen. Let's look at the glory of the one and only. And I want you to notice three things with me about it. I want you to notice first of all the fact of His coming. You know, notice I've already indicated the fact of it. Notice what He says. He says, Behold what? He is coming. See, there, there is no probability. There is no possibility. This is the promise. And who's making it? He's already established the foundation for it. The faithful witness. See it? The reliable one is making the promise. So if He's making the promise, you can count on it. The Lord Jesus Christ 
is one day coming again. We hear preachers preach about it. We've heard it talked about all our life. But you say, but he hadn't come yet. Hey, that's just because of the grace and mercy of God. That's why. He's holding off so sinners can come to him, so more people can be saved and be ready for this moment. But he's coming. The Bible predicted it in the Old Testament. Daniel talked about it in chapter 7, verse 13, when he said, the Son of Man is coming on clouds. He's coming back one of these days. Jesus promised it in the New Testament. In John 14, he said, uh, I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll do what? I'm coming back to receive you unto myself. There is the fact of His coming. But now I want you to watch this. Not only the fact of His coming, there is the form of His coming. Notice what He says. He says, Behold, He is coming. And then notice what He says. He says, With clouds, I circle the word clouds, with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. Now this is important. I want you to hang with me here for just a second. He said, The Lord's coming. That's the fact. And the form upon which he comes, he says with clouds. Now here's what that means. It's going to be visual. Yeah, or victorious. It's going to be victorious. Clouds symbolize his victory. Do you remember in the Old Testament? The icon of God in the Old Testament was a glory cloud. Remember that? When Israel left Egypt, they started on that journey. Remember there was that cloud. And the cloud became a symbol of the presence and power of God among the nation of Israel. It was the cloud that led them. It was the cloud that went before them. Guess what happened to Jesus when He ascended back to heaven in Acts chapter 1? He had been resurrected. He had been on the earth for 40 days. He's getting ready to go back to heaven where He'll be at the right hand of the Father. And in Acts chapter 1, when you read it, you'll discover that a cloud came and swooped Him up and started lifting Him up. And on His way going back to heaven, there were two angels there and the disciples were just, you know, their eyes were bugged out and their jaws had hit the ground. Yours would have too if you'd have seen that. And the angel said to him, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that is going up into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen Him go. He went up in a cloud and He's coming back in a cloud, ladies and gentlemen. Victorious He went up and victorious He's coming back. Oh, he may have came to suffer and serve at the first time, but he's coming, the sovereign God who will rule and reign on the earth when he comes again. Amen. And notice, notice, every eye, every eye will see him. Every eye is going to see him. Now there is a notation that you need to make. I'll draw this to your attention later in our study of the book of Revelation, but right here is what confuses many people. There are two parts to the coming of Jesus Christ. Two words I want you to write down. I'll mention these words in later messages. Several times I'll try to keep you on, on page here. here, here here's, here's two words I want you to write down. I want you to write the word rapture, the word rapture, and the word return. When he says here, every eye will see him, he is referring to the return of Jesus. Now quickly because we've got a whole year to unravel this all. But quickly, let me explain it to you this way. The next event on God's prophetic calendar is rapture. What is rapture? It's Jesus coming back, listen, in the air. When He comes again, the, first, the next time, He won't come all the way to the earth. He is coming back in the air. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 and following says, He's coming back in the air. And when He does, there's the trump of God, the voice of the archangel, and all God's people are going up. If you're alive, you're going up. If you're dead, you're going up. Just like I talked about, ain't no grave going to hold his body down. Brother, it's coming back up. Soul and body are going to be joined together. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. Rapture. That's next on the prophetic. Nothing has to happen for Jesus to come back in the rapture. Nothing. Everything's fulfilled. He's just holding off in grace and mercy for people to be saved. But once rapture occurs, there will be seven years of tribulation on this earth. At the end of those seven years, He is going to visibly and He is going to victoriously return, come all the way to this earth, battle of Armageddon, the word of His mouth will end it all. By the word of His mouth, it all got started and by the word of His mouth, it's all going to end. You ever thought about where the book of Revelation is in your Bible? It's right at the end. Right at the end of your Bible. You ever thought about the book that starts your Bible? Genesis. It's at the start. Revelation is at the end. You ever thought about how those two books relate to one another? In the book of Genesis, you got the you got the creation of the heavens and the earth. In the book of Revelation, you've got the consummation of the heavens and the earth. In the book of Genesis, you've got the dawn of Satan into the world. In the book of Revelation, you've got the doom of Satan from this world. In the book of Genesis, you've got the entrance of sin into the world. In the book of Revelation, you've got the end of sin in the world. In the book of Genesis, you've got the uh, exposing of jealousy in the world. In the book of Revelation, you've got the erasing of jealousy in the world. In the book of Genesis, you, you've got, you've got uh, the, the beginning of sorrow. In the book of Revelation, you've got the banishing of sorrow. In the book of Genesis, you've got death making its entrance. In the book of Revelation, you've got death making its exit. In the book of Genesis, you've got God starting in time what He began. In the book of Revelation, you got God ending in eternity what He began. These two books go together, ladies and gentlemen, and they emphasize the victory that one of these days will be God's people if you follow and believe in Him. It's visual. It's going to be visual. A rapture that takes His church out. And I, I hear people, and that's where they get confused. Also, well, well, the Bible talks about the coming of Jesus. <clears throat> Listen. If, if you want to stay around for them seven years, you can just go right ahead, but I'm gone. <laughs> I'm out. And I can prove it to you when we get to that point that God's going to take His church out of here. You don't want to be here when that happens. You want to know Jesus. You want to believe Him. You want to hear His voice when the shepherd calls your name. And you exit out of this world. The form of His coming. Now finally, the faith of His coming. The faith of it. Notice what he says in these verses. We can just continue to look at these verses. Verse 7 he says, Behold, he's coming with clouds. Every eye will see him. And then notice he says, Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. There are going to be two responses to the return of Jesus, the coming of our Lord. One, the fate of it is it's going to mean grief for the sinner. You, you, you notice it says every eye will see him. It says even those who pierce him. 
Now, I believe that's a reference to those who crucified him. I believe that's a reference to those who nailed him on the cross. I believe Pilate's going to see him, the one who tried to wash his hands of it all and get out of it, but couldn't. I believe those Roman soldiers are going to see him. But you know what? I was reading my Bible this week. And over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, that verse says, and even so more punishment for those, listen, who trampled underfoot the Son of God and who treated His blood as an unsacred thing. So people today, who guess what? Who reject Jesus Christ, who walk over what He did on the cross of Calvary, they too are going to see Him. But it won't be a happy occasion. So it will be grief for the sinner, but it will be gladness for the saint. It will be gladness for the sake. You, you know it's what I, John does it. He says, even so, he didn't say come. He said, even so what? Amen. You know what that word means? Yes. Yes. So be it. Yes. So when John saw all this happening, he said, yes. <laughs> oh, I hope, you, I hope you can put a yes in there this morning, ladies and gentlemen. I hope when, when you think about the coming of Jesus, I hope it's a yes for you. You know, it, 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 isn't, it isn't a surprise to me that once all this happened, John just breaks out in song and praise. Now, that wouldn't surprise you. You, you know, he, he gets to see in all of this. And, and the latter part of, of verse number 6, he says, uh, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. His response was he just broke out in song. Did you know this is the first doxology or song of praise in the book of Revelation? Could I tell you it ain't going to be the last? And do you know what? The praises get longer and they get louder as the book goes. See, this is a twofold praise, glory and dominion. The next time song breaks out, it's going to be threefold. And the next time it breaks out, it'll be fourfold. And the next time it breaks out, it'll be fivefold. And, and it just keeps on going until we come to the end of the book of Revelation where there is a sevenfold description of praise and song for God, who He is, what He's done and what he is going to do. And then notice, John just closes it out by saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, Almighty. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I, I, I like this. I never thought about it until this week when I was studying and praying over these verses of Scripture. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, the, the, the Alpha was the first letter in the Greek alphabet. The Omega was the last. We, we'd say today he's the A and the Z. And he's all the letters in between. Hey, another way to put it is, is that Jesus is the vocabulary of God. Jesus is God spelling himself out in a way that people could understand who he was. You know, I got to think about it. That just simply means Jesus is all the nouns of God. He's all the verbs of God. He's all the adverbs and all the adjectives and all the prepositions. He's, he's all of that, putting phrases together so that we understand the one who loved us and died for us. You know something? And here's the thought I'd never thought about that God put on my heart. God is saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm going to have the last word. Now, women are famous for getting the last word. Isn't that right, girl? <laughs> but can I tell you? Mm -mm. God is going to have the last word. And you know what? why that's encouraging to me? You can go sit down in the doctor's office sometimes and you don't get a good report. But can I tell you, that's not the last word. That's not the last word. And sometimes families do have to walk their way uh, in front of a casket 
out there to a tent somewhere in a cemetery and deposit the body of a loved one. But could I tell you, that is not the last word, ladies and gentlemen. Our God is going to be the one who has the last word. And notice it says He's almighty. It didn't say He's partially almighty. It didn't say He's quarter almighty, three quarters almighty. No, He's almighty. He is almighty all the way. And He is the almighty God who is able to do for us what we need Him to do if we will trust Him and follow Him. Would you bow together with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the preciousness of it. Thank You for the truth it lays out for us. You are the one and only, our one and only. Thank You that we know You, that we love You, and that we're seeking with Your help to serve You. Help us to do it better Help us to be more faithful than we've ever been. Help us to keep our eyes completely on you as we walk our way through this year and into life. God, may we truly focus on you. In Jesus' name.